Hey folks, this week's episode features a panel of guests and is in two parts. In the first part, we discuss the commodification of shared experience and what the world might look like without the expectation that alcohol is a precursor to socialization. And in the second part, we try to posit how we can create space for people practicing all types of sobriety, whether they're in recovery or whether they're sober for other reasons or whether there might be drug or alcohol-related trauma in their past. Joining us for this episode are our friends Bertik, Brian Huntress, and Devery Goodspeed. And the song you're hearing right now is a new song of Pratik's called Guess I'm Just No Fun that he wrote about this very topic. And we did decide to release this episode on St. Patrick's Day rather ironically, but in another sense, given the purpose of our show, it's not ironic at all. Because, especially when it comes to holidays like this, it's so easy to feel alienated when you can't celebrate in the same way as others do, or when you're made to feel afraid that you won't be understood for your personal choices or your personal sensitivities. And that's why we felt this conversation was necessary. Because especially as the world opens back up and the pandemic becomes less of a threat, we want everyone to be able to go back into the world with newfound agency and conviction and to be able to stand up for themselves and be advocates of the world they want to live in. Enjoy the show. Okay, so we're all here to talk about sober spaces. What I haven't told any of you, I don't think, is that we're releasing this on St. Patrick's Day. Oh. So we're doing a bit of a Yes. A bit of a contrarian thing, maybe, but I I don't know that it should be contextualized that way. But sober spaces are a very important issue to all of us. And I think for all of us, probably for slightly different reasons. So this might get interesting. Um I think the overlap is going to be like the majority of of our feelings, but just experientially, we might kind of differ with like why we think they're necessary or what we've benefited from and and whatnot. So, so let's get into it. I'm not sure how to do this with five people. (laughs) (laughs) All right, let's go around and say our names. (laughs) Hi, I'm Brian. I'm an alcoholic. Hi, Brian. Hi, Brian. I was just thinking that though That would be the perfect way to open this <laughs> um, I kind of wanted to like Just say like from Off the top Like from the beginning That everything that we're saying Is true to us And our experiences And maybe completely different For someone else Who doesn't drink Yeah absolutely Like nothing about this is generalized It's just our takes mm. Definitely So we have a a wide range of experiences here, too, because Brian and I have both run sober spaces in the past. Yeah. I think Pratik mostly prefers to play them, as do I. More or less. Yeah. Uh, Mm -hmm. I've seen Matt play all sorts of of different spaces. I think I prefer to hang out in them, but I don't care where I play necessarily. Yeah. I think running them has been a really important part of my DIY experience because every DIY space I've ever run or contributed to is usually like technically illegal in some way. Right. Not even, even if it's not in like a real outlaw way, it's like the thing could be shut down for like any old reason. 
Right. Mm -hmm. So one thing that's just purely practical is that if the police show up to a noise complaint and there's alcohol there, there are drugs or something, they're going to, I don't know, it might be worse, but I've had shows where the police show up and it's an absolute chaos, like loud as shit, like very disruptive, but there's just no alcohol. And they're just kind of, they don't, a lot of, some of the times they haven't even really, they're like, well, this is weird. (laughs) Or they don't even know how to like, (laughs) then they don't shut it down. They're like, yeah, could you guys just stop yelling? And then we're like, yeah, we'll be done by 10, dude. Thanks. And then they like, then they're like, whatever. That was weird. And that's that. But like, I, so I guess to shorten my point, I, I think that a sober space purely from a legal and longevity standpoint can really, really add to the lifespan of a DIY venue Mm -hmm. because there are house venues that have existed all over the city of Boston that are only there for like two months and they get (laughs) shut down instantly because they were just pure chaos, like college party bullshit. And that's like, I don't know. And I mean, the party is a really important part for some people. Some people just want to fucking party and that's fine. They can, they can, they're, you know, do your thing, but that's not really the point for me, yeah. I guess. And it's not really a big yeah. part of the, the art and cultural experience, I guess. So we were talking just now specifically about DIY spaces. We do see some sober spaces that are commercial spaces or that are more collective spaces that aren't just purely DIY. I'm thinking specifically about like the, the coffee houses and the Unitarian churches, you know, like yep, great yeah. scene, usually sober, but not as commercialized, not necessarily as well attended. Sure. Why are sober spaces not well attended when, well, sometimes when they are DIY spaces, they're not well attended. But aside from that, like, why is it not commercialized as much as it could be? A lack of creativity, I think. Mm. Yeah. yeah. A lack of creativity and the fact that um, music and alcohol kind of go hand in hand. <laughs> and yeah. the re- any, any profitable music venture is basically there to sell beer. Mm-hmm. Yeah, a bunch of musicians that I really, who I really love and respect, have basically said independently of each other that, like, yeah, my, my job is to be a beer salesman. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah. it's like, <laughs> damn. So like, and like they're not, and like they're not bitter about it. They get it. They get it. But like, that's kind of a big part of the perception is just like, yeah, music, yeah, booze. Yeah. You're not going to have music. You're not really going to have music without booze because that doesn't yeah. make money. Does that change like what's available to you guys as far as opportunities? Like if you're following isn't going to be selling alcohol, is it more likely that you won't be asked back to certain venues? Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Um, I think, too, this kind of circles back to our first discussion where we were talking about how there really aren't any institutions around that just support music for music's sake that are accessible Mm. to people that aren't either rich or part of an important institution Mm. because there is absolutely an audience of people who love music because they love music and they love artists just because they want to support the arts. But like those people are us really, or they're, you know what I mean? They're not institutions and, or people are the national endowment of the arts isn't like, creating DIY spaces. And I think yeah. what is happening a lot is the arbiters of, of, of who lives and who dies and what music is played and what isn't like Pratik said, are people that want to sell beer. Yep. Mm. They're mm. entrepreneurs that have opened a restaurant or a club. 
Yep. They're not they're not patrons of the arts. Yep. And then even at the even on like the really, really big levels like TD Garden or all the stadiums, like yeah. they're there to sell Bud Light. Yeah, mm. that's pretty much their thing. Well, plus, and like from the audience perspective, me and Debbie were actually talking about this yesterday, I think um, it can be politicized really easily. Like the fact that sober spaces are kind of their own thing. It makes it very easy to assign certain dogmas or ideologies and things to that idea. Yeah. So it sort of inherently alienates people who aren't willing yeah. to look a little bit further because it's sometimes it's even hard to discern that like whatever the difference is between straight edge and sober. Mm-hmm. Like yep. it's not necessarily that people are going to actively come at you for not, I mean, for drinking or something. But sometimes it, it's space is just a place where you don't you don't drink, you don't do drugs versus a straight edge place where it's like sometimes they will hit you with a fucking pipe if <laughs> you come by with a beer. So it's like there's so many like disambiguations that have to happen in that yeah. conversation that don't typically happen in the public. Like, they happen within like the scenes where they, you know, where people care. But yeah. I feel like that gives it kind of like a, like kind of a hokey context to a lot of people where it's like, Oh, I can't drink. Like what? It, it, no, I, I completely agree with that. And I also want to build off of that to say that I think drinking is pretty much hand in hand with community. Yeah. If yeah, someone says yeah. they're going out, where do you think they're going? Probably yeah. a bar or probably to yeah. somebody's house to get shit faced. Yeah. In reality, they could be in, in reality, especially if it was a person who like doesn't drink, they could be going anywhere. They're just like, oh, yeah, I'm going to a show. Oh, yeah, I'm going to this concert. Oh, yeah, I'm going to hang out in my friend's backyard. Oh, yeah, I'm going to go to the reservoir and stare at the stars for a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's I think there's just this idea that not, not I mean just this idea Alcohol and community are, at least in the U.S., at least and at least in my experience, they've always been just completely intertwined. And the minute that you tell somebody like Matt was saying that it's like, oh, I can't drink. It's just like their brain immediately shuts off. They're not interested. Right. Yeah. It's like communion, bread breaking, like yep. it's a yeah. you know, universal communal thing. Like I've had people offer me, you know, a pipe or a drink or, or alcohol or something as a way to let me know. That I'm a guest. I'm welcome here. Mm-hmm. You're yeah, my friend. Yeah. And yep. sometimes I'll be like, oh, no, thanks. And people are kind of, it's weird that I didn't. Not because I feel insecure about it, but because it could be cons- considered kind of a passive aggressive thing to refuse a drink. No, yeah, totally. Right. Not drink with something. Like, I'm not drinking with you. And some people who aren't familiar with that lifestyle or that, I, you know, not drinking for no particular reason whether you're sober or straight edge or not, just choosing not to yeah, and be kind of a strange to some. Yeah. I was actually saying to Joel one time, that's part of the reason I smoke cigarettes is I found that that was a nice middle ground. Like I enjoy them yeah. too, but like I found that if I don't smoke pot and if I don't drink, people just think I'm a cop, you know, if I'm just right. outside <laughs> leaning against the wall, they're like, what the hell? And taking notes. Like I'm always writing in my notebook. They're like, what the hell are you doing? So like, if you smoke a cigarette, all of a sudden they're like, Oh, okay. Like he's one of us. Again. Cool. Yeah. And it's so weird how many different types of scenes that has happened, but yeah. it's true. It's, it's a norm. It's totally, like people... it's totally not even <laughs> around like the most white collar uptight people. If you're not having a beer, you're a weirdo. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> What the yeah. hell? It's weird how quickly people get defensive if some if you're not drinking and they are they think totally. that you're being you're judging them. It's like oh well, yeah. I have yep. to drink or I want to drink. It's like I didn't say yeah. anything about you drinking. I just said I'm not. Yeah, it's like telling somebody you're vegan. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, 
not that there's anything wrong with that, but it's like that kind of. It can carry those implications. Yeah, and it, yeah, it, it limits what you can share with somebody. Yeah, you know, that's true. It limits the shared experience. I actually took a big step about a year ago in like kind of mitigating part of this for myself. Before I tell this story, if you don't drink, if you're sober, like you might have a variety of um, reasons for being sober. So this is not a this is not a story that should be like encouraging anybody to just like, oh, try it out. See if you can still drink. <laughs> but for me, the reason that I didn't drink for years was just I got tired of the social pressure. And it seemed that shared experience relied solely on alcohol. Got tired of it. So but a year ago, Kate and I were down in Baltimore and we went out to this like really cool kind of Mexican restaurant dive bar with um, a friend of hers. And I just decided in that moment, like, why shouldn't I be able to take part in this the way that everyone else is taking part in this? So I ordered a beer just to see, like, how does this experience feel to me? And I'm not in recovery or anything, so this is not me, like, endangering myself. This is not me <laughs> relapsing. Like, <laughs> relapsing or anything. But I was just like, how does this feel? And is it going to make me uncomfortable to, like, adhere to uh, social expectations or is it going to be me taking back agency in this way? And it worked really well. And then I just kind of spent like the next month or so, just like every once in a while having a beer with dinner and seeing how this feels like I'm, a, I'm alone and this is not me like getting drunk alone. It's just me like having a beer, seeing if I can take back like, or rid myself of the stigma, I guess rid myself of like the social stigma that this is like something we need to do with each other all the time. Can I actually make the choice to either do this alone or with people? Or can I make the choice to decide what this means to me? And it doesn't have to mean to me what it's going to mean to somebody else. Yeah, I, I agree. And something I've been thinking about recently that has become more prevalent is I don't know if you guys heard people talk about harm reduction in terms of addiction no. treatment. Yeah, where I was actually talking about this exact same subject to somebody like two nights ago. And I kind of posed the idea that there are some circumstances like I was at a show. Devry might remember this. This was at the Puzzle Factory probably two years ago now, which is crazy. Uh. But <laughs> where there was a guy that was there that was on drugs. I wasn't there for this, but we got updates the whole time. Yeah. And this guy... <laughs> was blatantly on drugs he wasn't and he was, was not weed or alcohol and he fainted he collapsed and it was fucking insane and it was like it's it felt like a medical emergency mm-hmm. but because i was the organizer of the show and the person responsible for the venue and technically the person in charge this these people that he was with thought that they'd be telling on him if they told me what the fuck was going on Mm-hmm. So these people, it was like this secret that this guy was on drugs and now he's fucking collapsing. And now I don't know what he's doing. I don't know if I need to call an ambulance or kick him out or what's going on. And looking back, it would have been so much easier if these people were just like, oh, dude, he took ketamine. Sorry. Mm-hmm. And I could have been like, oh, shit. Like, all right, man, here's a glass of water. Like, hope yeah. you're OK or something. <laughs> Yeah. Like, <laughs> and like, I didn't, I, I don't think he, we didn't even kick the guy out. He was safe. He didn't die or go to the hospital or anything. But I was just thinking, like, what if there was a, and it's not a sober space or a safe space or a safer or soberer space, but what if there was a space where, like, if somebody was on drugs, it was fine 
and you know communicated and like almost like i as the organizer was consenting to have somebody there on drugs like if i was able to do that yeah like would that have been safer for me i could have acted with that liability in mind yeah. you know what i mean hmm. kind of weird it's kind of a weird perspective but well that's the thing i think it's the liability factor i will yeah and i would i would actually argue that a big part of the reason that those spaces don't exist is because they only don't exist for non-socially acceptable drugs. They yeah. exist for socially acceptable drugs and they're called bars. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> True. Yeah. Well, that even raises the question, what are socially acceptable drugs? Exactly. <laughs> exactly. who you're talking to. <laughs> and if they're not yep. socially acceptable, should you be taking them socially? Yep. Right. Like, I don't, I don't think that we should have people like shooting heroin at a house show like no. wow, that would be horrible but like if i'm the or as the organizer of a show if there's somebody there that is on like molly or like maybe they did coke before they showed up i don't want that to happen mm -hmm. but if they're there and i don't know that they're on drugs that's a lot more unsafe yeah than if i did know because yeah. if somebody mm -hmm. did overdose or had a medical emergency i coincidentally have some experience and like, and, and no, I know it's, I would know what to do. Like, yeah. you know, roll someone on their side. If you have Narcan, I know how to administer that. Like I, so I guess what I'm saying that if, if somebody, if I was in a social setting and there was somebody there that was going to use an IV drug like fentanyl or heroin, I would 100% prefer to know that they were doing it. Not so I could kick them out or alienate them, but so they don't die in my bathroom. Right. It, that's like such a complicated issue, but it just kind of I thought was an interesting thing to bring up in this context because I don't know. There's nothing worse than somebody I've seen people secretly drink for a whole show, get pretty buzzed by the end of the show and then get in their car and leave. And I'm like, fuck, dude. Yeah. Like, <laughs> Yeah. And so actually based off of that, and I think the fact that it's sort of like acceptable to do that with alcohol and maybe not with, you know, maybe not with certain other drugs. I was on tour, um, this would have been like five years ago, maybe, and I was playing a show in Ohio, and this guy kept pushing, um, trying to get me to drink a shot, and I was the one who had the car, so I had to drive, Yeah. and the guy just wouldn't take no for an answer, so I took the shot, and I'm a lightweight, <laughs> and I'm really, <laughs> so just, which is, you know, like, you know, I'm like, fi I'm like five foot eight and skinny. What do you want from me? Um, yeah. And I'm really, I'm just like, I'm really glad that like, you know, that was like the only thing I had that evening. But even so, I was like pretty scared to drive back to the place that we were staying at, mm. um, the musician I was with. Uh, and I was just like, fuck, what if I get pulled over, you know? And um, drugs and groups of people and how much information people say or don't say it's a big, big mess. Mm -hmm. yeah. It just really is. They almost feel like separate issues to me. It's, it's almost, that's where it starts to become adjacent to like the safe space issue and things like that. Because the whole, for me, at least the whole concept of a sober space is just that it's just a place where there isn't this one particular social element. And that seems like a good place to kind of end that you know like beyond that it's like all right well then we can start involving different ideologies or different i don't know like social beliefs that everyone might have which is like all right if you're on drugs though we can talk about it or if you're on drugs we're going to beat the shit out of you out back or if you're on drugs great give me some drugs like that is almost a separate issue because i've seen that vary so much between different spaces 
like if I played like three sober spaces this weekend, they would probably all have a slightly different mentality about what sober means, what space yeah. means, you know? Yep. Yeah. I've been to sober spaces where everyone was smoking weed. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> sober space, dude. Yeah. yeah. Well, it comes from the earth, man. Yep. Well, because that's the thing. It's like even the concept of like drugs can be such a moving target because I know so many people that consider themselves sober and smoke so much goddamn weed. Yeah. It's like, you're not, you couldn't drive a car right now. Like you're probably not sober by my personal definition of sober for me. So it's, yeah, there's a lot of like different gray areas with this. Yep. And then like, I know sort of another side of that, which is like, I've always had trouble with the word sober. So like recently I've just decided to start calling what I do straight edge because I don't drink, I quit cigarettes, I don't do weed anymore, but I don't feel right saying that I'm sober mm. because so many of the people I know who use the word sober, a lot of them actually, they Are struggle with addiction oh, and, yeah. they're in reco- and they're in recovery and they're actually, they have to sort of relearn life yeah. without, su- without substances. And for me, it really, it wasn't really like that. Mm. Yeah. I struggle with that too. I never really know what to call it. I don't know. I usually just say like, I don't really drink. And for me, it's, it's alcohol specific. I don't really smoke weed that much anymore either, but from time to time I'll go through a phase, but I just, I grew up, you know, I just one day realized in my late twenties that I'd had a lot of friendships that were solely like the only shared experience was that we would smoke weed together or that we would drink together. And I started kind of deconstructing that and realizing that it was very like a, a toxic way to be. And I kind of very passive aggressively just like stopped going to the bar to like meet up with them. But I mean, it was, it was uphill from there. Like it was, now I'm going to start checking out sober spaces. Now I'm going to start, you know, seeing what is, for me, this is all about shared experience. So like, what is shared experience without substance? What is shared experience without expectation or without uh, peer pressure, social pressure? And like a year or so, a year or two after I started doing this, like this kind of like social experiment for myself is when I started running a sober space and just like, well, we'll see. Like by definition, it had to be because the space I was running um, was in a building where like drinking would have been a huge liability issue. So I was like, well, that kind of fits with my whole mission statement right now. So let's try it out and see how it goes. And I loved it. I loved like just taking that expectation out of it. And like the shared experience is the music or the shared experience is. And and I think there's a like delineation between the shared experience is we're all sober together. And the shared experience is we're all doing what doesn't require uh, substance. That's a good point. Yeah. Yeah. To the other side of that, I would also add that there are a couple of bands that I would like go to their shows and be like, why do people like this? And then I would have a couple of beers and I'm like, oh, that's why people like them. (laughs) Got it. I like ACDC, but let's be real. ACDC built their career on Budweiser. Like, come on. (laughs) I don't like ACDC and I completely agree. like on that subject i've been so i've been on an acdc kick for like the past like few months on and off and i'm like yeah and it's like you know it's like going out is obviously lethal so i'm just like in my room boogieing out to like all the to like all these different acdc albums and there i will have moments where i'm like is this weird 
am I actually not enjoying this music the way it was meant to be enjoyed? <laughs> Which is to say, shit-faced at a stadium. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and it's like, but at the same time, I'm just like nerding out like hardcore, and I'm like, oh man, I love like that chord choice, or like, I love that he goes to, like, I love that he does this thing in the bridge, and it sounds like a key change, but it isn't. And I'm like, I'm genuinely enjoying it, but I'm also thinking, it's like, I am not enjoying this the way it was meant to be enjoyed. This is weird. <laughs> Like standing up on a chair with with bell bottom jeans and a t shirt. And like topless. Weird, weird bangs and long hair. Yeah. Uh Yep. (laughs) Blue Lives Matter shirt. No, I'm sorry. I didn't want to get political. (laughs) We we love our boomers. We love our boomers. (laughs) Jeez. Yeah. I used to love ACDC when I was like 12. (laughs) <laughs> well, who didn't? <laughs> Accurate. The very first time I went out to a bar was to watch an ACDC cover band. Amazing. That would be a really fun band to be in. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I have actually wanted to be in an ACDC tribute band for a while. <laughs> oh, that is God. completely 100 fucking percent serious. I would love to play bass in one. You just have to know A, basically. You just stand there and play A. It's like three notes. You yeah. just gotta be on the freaking beat. Yeah. Basically. You're obligated to wear the school uniforms, just so you guys know. Yeah. I look great in shorts. I'll do it. <laughs> Man, I learned you shouldn't high leg kick in those. I did Ooh. one show with like track shorts on one time at oh, the Middle yeah. East, you know, where the stage is like kind of high up. And I did like a high kick. And the front row went like, oh. <laughs> and I didn't know why until like one of the guys told me after. They're like, yeah, you, you should not lift your leg up past a certain height and those things, man. Now we know. <laughs> oh, geez. So I was just thinking about like how music is supposed to be heard. Pratik, you and I kind of dabble in the folk tradition. Yep. So... I think about folk songs. I think about them being sung in pubs. I think about them being like shared around a hearth or or something like that. And usually alcohol is, is a part of it. So I'm thinking about folk music. I'm thinking about like how that is conceptually supposed to be heard or maybe traditionally supposed to be heard. And there's then this pressure to break tradition. There's also yeah. this sort of evolution or like this offshoot of folk music that necessitates a listening room and needs a quieter, more attentive audience. I guess I don't really have a specific question, but what are our thoughts on breaking tradition and mm. on evolving away from the way that things are were traditionally? I guess actually kind of going off like the sort of like the whole ACDC tangent, like I was joking, but not also joking. It's just like that music. It is like, you know, get shit faced at a stadium kind of music and building off of that. I think so many different kinds of music have these like very different specific ways that you're supposed to enjoy them and very specific preconceptions about how you're supposed to enjoy them. You know, like a lot of, singer songwriter stuff you know it's it's like oh yeah it's like it's quiet but you can buy a beer from like the stand way at the back um you know like sipping your craft ale or whatever whereas like you know or like you know like a loud rock show is just like get drink like fucking 12 pbrs and so i think going off of that whole tradition there's like all these traditions about how you're supposed to play music and how you're supposed to enjoy it 
sober spaces are really interesting because they kind of are breaking away from that tradition and forging their own. And I think because of that, they're also kind of doing it at their own peril because a lot of people just they want to they want to drink while they enjoy music. Mm. They yeah. want they want to drink while they're around people. That's the way they know how to be around people. And this isn't even just a thing in like, you know, like small towns where there's really only bars, you know, like I've lived around the Boston area for most of my life. You know, all jokes aside, it's a relatively cosmopolitan city. Mm -hmm. And I felt really weird about going out when I started like really cutting back and eventually giving up alcohol and most other drugs. Um, The reason I do is because I take Prozac alcohol and Prozac, not friends Sure, yeah. in any capacity, but I felt really weird. And I felt like, yeah, I can't really go out and like see all my friends. Cause they're usually at bars or like at shows. I, you know, it's just like, I don't like going to house parties. Cause every like, cause you know, like, cause everybody's drinking. I feel weird. They might feel weird, which is going to make me feel even weirder. And I started like Without really realizing it, I started keeping this laundry list in my head of just places that I didn't really enjoy going because there was the expectation that you drink. And that laundry list is most places that people in their 20s usually go when they want to leave the house. And so, like, I'm not I I don't think there's, there's any one person you can point the finger at, but alcohol and socializing it is a tradition and it's a widespread tradition it's a widespread tradition that has taken so many forms that not drinking is this weird strange thing that people still don't know what to make of Mm. it's sad how easy it is to like lose friends to not drinking too like that was like kind of when i got sober was the realization that like i don't know it's almost like a bad breakup like yeah. You can't go to the same places. You, uh, your friends pick sides. Like it just yep. sucks. <laughs> no, totally, no, totally. Building off of that, um, another thing it made me really self conscious about was dating. Yep. Mm. Oh god, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> People drink on dates, don't they? Well, dang. And um, funnily enough, like especially since I gave up drinking. Any relationships that I've been in, it was where the person and I had like known each other for a while. Yep. So we gotten like the chance to feel out each other's personalities yeah. without having to go to a bar. Yeah. Yeah. And I think too, to kind of backtrack a little bit to the idea of how music is meant to be listened to and how folk is a, a genre that kind of prioritize or that kind of celebrates tradition. I think yep. one thing that I think about is that tradition isn't really the point. It's about the application of tradition where yep. it's kind of like when you see an artist go up on stage and they sound exactly like Bob Dylan, or you see a, fo- a bluegrass band that looks like they got out of a time machine from, you know, the Great Depression. Like it's we kind of a lot of people make fun of those people or kind of joke about it, mm. where they're just kind of gimmicky, uh, embodying folk music. A We're talking about Mumford music. and Sons, right? Yeah, it's like yeah. They're, they're they're an example for sure. Yeah, but we we love bands that take old like American folk or Celtic shit or literally just, you know, this, this, these traditions and these sounds and bring them to the modern life and to mm-hmm. modern perspectives and, and to the present day. And I think that we could be doing that with, with sober spaces too, where like, 
who is to say that in 20, 30, 40 years that this maybe people will be commodifying sober spaces? I mean, it's already happening on a very small scale. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. Th- this this sounds like some type of like Portlandia skit in the making, like for <laughs> when sober spaces totally. are one day some type of staple of of of, you know, DIY folky people. And, and I think that in a way, like even if there are a lot of people who don't socialize or date without drinking, I find in my life a lot of people like something that people I bet everybody in this chat will be will has somebody has told this to. I have a lot of friends that hang out with me. Well, not right now, but like <laughs> who who will say that it's refreshing to hang out with me because I'm not smoking weed constantly or drinking. Yeah. And they're like, damn, man, I haven't thought about weed for eight hours. And I'm like, what? <laughs> like, <laughs> me neither. <laughs> like, crazy, right? Yeah. But like, and, and I appreciate that. I'm glad that that's like a feature of hanging out with me. But I'll, I would gamble money that there is a chance it will become fashionable, mm-hmm. you know, in the future. Because there's a lot of people that just want authenticity. They don't want this kind of Instagram likes, only having sex drunk, like dating people you don't give a fuck about, like sure. club bullshit. Like there there are people that do that that really wish they didn't do that. Right. You yeah. know what I mean? I agree with that. And I think that's less of a becoming fashionable thing that has to do with like the specific year. And I think it actually has more to do with age. Oh, yeah. And it's so uh, when I turned 27, I had this like whole moment where I'm just like, oh, man, I'm like, I'm in my late 20s. And I had this and I had and then I was like, oh, I can hang out with my friends at places that aren't bars. Yeah. Because people are going to start thinking that's cool. Yeah. And and I'm not even kidding. Um, I'm 28 now. I'm going to be turning uh, 29 this year. That is the attitude that like I'm carrying into my 30s. I'm like, oh, my God, I can I can see my friends again. Yeah. I don't have to be cool anymore. Oh my, oh my, I do, I get to be lame. Oh, it's, this is going to be so, and it's, and it's like, you know, and that goes back into like, you know, there's all these expectations about how you're supposed to hang out with people and enjoy music and enjoy life and take substances or not take substances. I think that even though a lot of us, a lot of us maybe don't consciously think about it. I think a lot of us are aware that there is a very specific script for how that is all supposed to play out over yeah. the course of your life. Yeah. You, and it's something that because I stopped drinking, um, I like started cutting back and eventually stopped um, drinking on when I was like around a 26 or so. Um, it felt weird then. And it's slowly feeling less and less weird yeah. as I get older. And I hit the age where like, partying becomes this more specific thing where it's like you see people in their 30s and 40s like a very specific kind of people who still party really hard and people are just like nah, i don't want to do that anymore yeah and it goes back to the agency thing too because like when i decided to quote unquote not be sober anymore which is not really what was happening but i was thinking a lot about like am i only socializing on my own terms and like am i going to be maybe viewed as a grump for for being like that so it's like if someone asks me, oh, do you want to get a drink sometime? And I go like, how about coffee? Which usually means like you're meeting earlier in the day and, you know, it, it limits when you can socialize, when you can have certain interactions. Stomach's going to hurt. Stomach's going to hurt. <laughs> so I'm like, well, if I only 
am ever like reframing the socialization to be on my terms, is that going to be harmful to relationships? And again, I'm, I'm really just talking about socialization here. I'm not, I don't want to push anybody out of recovery. So like, don't do this if you are in recovery. But yeah, so it was just like, can I kind of test my boundaries? Can I kind of test my threshold a little bit and see like, does this limit still exist with me? Does this like discomfort still exist in me? And if I just sort of make a, like, I guess I viewed it as a sacrifice at the time. Like if I just like make a sacrifice and adhere to other people's social standards just once, what does that feel like? And can I then, like, will it then give me some strength that I didn't have before? Uh, just in knowing that I'm not like endangering myself by saying yes to someone else's suggestion. Because I think for a long time that was a big fear that I had. Where did you fall on that? Like, what have you determined? I think I very successfully took back the agency that I needed to. Like, it felt good. It, it, and, it, and it felt like, like okay, this is, this is great. I forgot that I actually, like, do enjoy a beer now and then. And, mm -hmm. But it doesn't have to be, like, I can do that on my terms while still be serving somebody else's agenda. Not agenda, but, like, somebody else's desire. So, I don't know. But again, for me, it, it's not a recover thing. It's For me, it was all just, like, I got sick of the way certain friends or certain types of friends went about their social lives, and I didn't want to be a part of that. And also, I was seeing way too many people, like, drive irresponsibly and didn't really want to be complicit in that anymore. So I was just like, uh, I'll leave this whole scene behind. But... I think where I ultimately ended up falling on that was like, oh, yeah, I don't just have to go out for coffee with people. If someone invites me for a beer, I'll have a beer with them. That didn't at all change how I feel about sober spaces. I think that they should be way more popular than they are. I think they should be commodified. I think they should be a viable choice for anybody who wants to go out. And I would probably still choose them the majority of the time if, if it was my choice. But I wanted to make sure that if I were socializing with anybody, it could still be their choice where we go. Hmm. That's interesting. Well, that begs the question of how do you commodify something that is an alcohol in that situation? Like just if you were running an actual bar in the city. Like actually, I remember, have you guys been to, um, to Sonia? Yeah. No, I haven't. So that was like the TT's, uh, when they closed, the TT, the Bears liquor license is like a separate entity legally. And that thing was... Um, they were selling juice, like they were essentially a juice bar. And that was like the biggest kind of black mark on them for the longest time. And they're still around, I think, partially because of like the ownership of that building. But like there was a lot of weirdness about like, shit, how the hell do we make money? Like we can't necessarily always make it on ticket sales. Yep. You can't sell a Coke or an orange juice for $9, but you can sell a Budweiser for some reason. Yeah. So what do you charge for, you know? Right now, we are kind of re-arriving at the idea that like a root of, of like a kind of sabotaging element to the arts, to sober spaces, to music is the fact that we have to commodify these things or else we won't be allowed to enjoy them. Mm. Like the way we justify making music and making art is by making it make money for us. So we don't die or so nobody thinks we're a fucking loser or so we can pay our bills. You know what I mean? And like mm. we are being forced to do that because of the political state of, of our country and our economy. You know what I mean? Like there are I kind of believe that the political landscape of your country determines what kind of famous people exist. 
It's kind of a weird take. Yeah, but like, you know, like there could never be a famous billionaire in a communist country. You know what I mean? While there's not going to be a famous coal miner in a capitalist country that's famous Mm. because they're so sick at their job. Hmm. And like, and I think that is kind of a big problem is the fact that like, I don't know, man, I've, I've no idea what the solution is because like, it sucks because it's not even at this point, it's not even about whether or not sober spaces are good or bad, helpful or music or art or whatever. It's literally, where's the money going to come from? Yep. And so much of that money comes from selling Bud Light. Yeah, seriously. You guys should get a Bud Light sponsorship for this podcast. We've been talking <laughs> yeah. about them a lot. <laughs> you might right. be able to, to no, no, commodify no, this. Well, now for podcasts, no, no, no. for podcasts, you got to go with the uh, like artisan coffee roaster sponsorship. Right. Me oh, this, yes. episode, yeah. Oh, yeah. this episode was sponsored by Trade Coffee. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But yeah, and I think it's I think it's a, I think it's a fucking bummer. And I don't know, maybe in the future there will be more DIY spaces like that get grants or get mm. some type of endowment or art institutions, you know, treat community and organizing and group art and art that isn't white cube bullshit as a valid receptacle for their funding. Mm. You know what I mean? Like, can you imagine, Joel? Like, I don't know if you. Uh, like with, with like woolen springs, I mean fucking woolen mills. Can you imagine if if that wasn't contingent on on your job or money or whatever, but there was some art institution that gave you a grant to run that oh. and to promote it and to yep. and it supported it as as the as the art making community building talent creation that it was, or even if it was do- supported by the community. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, or like because that because that that does happen. That does happen with galleries, with with Boston art schools, with institutions, with SOA galleries. Like that that type of funding exists, but it it's scarce. You know, yeah. especially I don't know. No, anyway, it's completely true. And like, not to keep harping on about this, but like Brian, Brian, you've been like bringing this up in like so many different brilliant ways. It's Thanks. like, you know, for us to be able to keep making music, we have to make money. For us to make money, we have to get people to see it. If you want people and you want money, the fastest way to that is booze. Yeah. Yeah. And that is one of the realities that the music industry has kind of built itself around. Hmm. Yeah. And one interesting thing to consider, too, is that, you know, maybe in the future they won't really have to sell alcohol. But like, I don't know. Like, can you imagine if there was a fucking hookah bar music venue? Wouldn't be great to try to make everybody smoke hookah in the yeah, cell, yeah. fucking whatever that is, whatever that shit is. But uh, electric, so electric haze over electric in haze. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. what if yeah. it became a normal thing for normal everyday businesses to get a grant to open up their doors at night to artists? Yeah. Oh, that would be great. That would be amazing. That's a great idea. But mm-hmm. go, going off of that, like, isn't it also a problem that just most places that don't serve alcohol are not late at open late at night. Mm-hmm. Like there used to be this place in Worcester called the Java hut and they, uh, they were just a coffee shop. I don't think they served any alcohol and they were open until two in the morning along with the rest of the bars in Worcester. So like during all bar hours, you could be at, you know, a coffee shop instead and they would have poetry readings and it was like, it's right down the street from Clark university. So like they had a lot of the college crowd coming in. 
Um, but yeah, they had poetry readings, they had open mic nights, they had like all the things that you would want in like a bar setting that offers space for artists without the bar pressures. Well, that's a totally different thing of our society has to someday accept that people are night. some people are night owls and we need more 24 hour things to do other than go to Planet Fitness and diners. <laughs> yeah. 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 McDonald's. Yeah. <laughs> Interesting. You know, it's another thing that this is kind of a, a terror, like a shitty idea, I think, and it wouldn't work that well, probably. But like, I wonder, like, if there's even some opportunity in the idea of not just selling shit at shows, but even if there was more public awareness about ways to support shows where like, I don't know, it's almost like this socialist idea where the government will provide more things for its citizens if the taxes are higher. Where, yeah. like, maybe a, a music venue could do more if people were willing to contribute more for a door cover. You know yeah. you know what I mean? Like, I don't know. Like, I mean, I have, like, kind of scoffed at the idea of paying $25 for a show. Or, you know, I, I you know, like, just like everybody has. But, I mean, in a DIY, I, I don't want to give $25 to get into a club just so some asshole that owns the club gets the money. <laughs> but yeah, I no. probably would if I had a, a job and I had a little bit of money. And I knew that it was the money was going to be supporting. Yeah. Like it was a community investment and it was going to people that would, you know, are using it to benefit the community. Yeah. You know, maybe what about people like, would um, be... subscriptions or something like that. Yeah. So it's like you pay yeah. $25 a month and you can come here as much as you want or something like That's that. That's actually a, I think you're onto something with that, even with something like the chess company where like, yeah. Um, yeah. Can you imagine if there were shows or open mics? every night at a place and you got to go and participate and do whatever you wanted for 10 bucks a month anytime. Well, it's ridiculous too, that like, if you're going to see a friend play at a bar, the expectation is you will probably spend, you know, on top of maybe a door charge, like 25 bucks on drinks that night. Yeah. Yep. You know, so for sure. Why is it any different to go to, you know, a, a DIY space or any kind of sober space and Good pay point. more for a cover charge, you know? Yep. But that's the thing is like the people trust the booze more than they trust the music. <laughs> right. Because sometimes the booze makes <laughs> the them appreciate the music. <laughs> no, that's Can I rant point. about yeah. a situation that happened when Please I do. think it was Hale and Frail and Matt, Justin and I were on tour at this. I don't know if it was a bar or a restaurant. And the manager got mad because I was trying to sell something, which is fine. Like, yeah, I shouldn't have been trying to sell something in this business. But his thing was, well, you're not even drinking anything. Why should I let you make money if you're not giving me money? But yep. they did not provide anything other than alcohol, really, and water. Yeah. And so it was like I literally had become less of a commodity because they were not willing to sell coffee, a cup of coffee. Yeah. And you're like, yeah. dude, I've drank in like three pitchers of dusty free water. What more do you yeah. want from me? <laughs> <laughs> so no, I had actually at that place tried to buy something else, but they didn't provide anything other than alcohol. Right. Uh, yeah. So and I think that's where the failure of creati creativity comes in, where these businesses probably could actually think of a lot of different ideas and gimmicks and, and methods of bringing in more income, but yep. they're not, they're just no. like, well, we fucking sell beer because of drink yep. beer, make money. Yeah. Well, and like, that's the thing is like, because that works, like, yeah. it's like, you know, yeah. people, you know, like bars sell alcohol because that's a good way to make money. Um, and you know, if you're sober, it's like people think you're going to be, you know, like judging them. Mm -hmm. morally right, righteous or you're a buzz you're a buzzkill you're, you're a cop and you're not profitable yeah, yeah. no we, we kind of <laughs> fuck you oh, you're you're capitalism. yeah basically 
I just like I just want to hang out and drink ginger ale, okay? I want friends. No, this is literally me every minute of my life. I'm not fucking kidding. I think attitudes are changing a lot though, too. Like we're still working off the old model that was kind of espoused by like the boomers and the Gen X and stuff like a lot of those old ways that to run a venue, you had to run a bar and to run a bar, you have to sell beer. And this is what it means to function kind of under this paradigm. But now like millennials and other generations are asking, like just the fact that we're talking about this, you know, is probably different from what a lot of generations would, would bring to this topic. So like Good point. the idea of what sobriety means, what mental health means, what music and performance and venues all mean, like those things are being redefined so profoundly that I kind of wonder in like 20 years, 30 years, what's it going to be like where will beer be the thing that we feel like we need to sell in order to exist? Or it could be weed, you know? I mean, it might not be better in the sense of being sober, but it's like, it might be. It's it's weed. End of story. Yeah, Yeah, that's going to be weed. That's that's really nice. Have you you been to a dispensary? Because they look like Apple stores. No, but I mean, the fact that something like weed can go 40 years ago was like something you bring in by bales on a plane mm-hmm. in the middle of the night. And now it's like you drive down to the dispensary and you get it because your insurance is paying for it. Like <laughs> that's a huge yep. change. That is and a huge change. So I wonder what will happen in the sense of like music where we start to realize that like, shit, when we go to bars, they're not venues and we're not going to see our friend's band play. We're going to get hammered. So maybe they're separate activities. And like, mm-hmm. I think there's just going to be a lot of change around stuff like this. Don't do parties or don't do drugs Don't go out and it don't stay up 